0: Now let's read together in Paul's second epistle to Timothy and in chapter three. And as this is the last uh, time I will address you, let me just say a word of thanks to you for the warmness of your welcome. I've met a lot of new friends and for your good audience at uh, the t- meetings and the teaching of the word. And we trust that this afternoon will also be a blessing to your soul. Second Timothy three, this know also. more than or rather than lovers of god having a form of godliness that's the that's a very interesting thing having actually a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away now back to the same book as we read yesterday the book of numbers and this time at the end nearing the end of the book in chapter 20 Numbers chapter 20 Then came the children of Israel even the whole congregation unto the desert of Zin in the first month and the people abode in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there and there was no water for the congregation and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron And the people choked with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? That's number 16. Why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our, notice that, we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us, that's we and ours and us, to come out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place. It is no place of seed, or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Unto them, And the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. Now, chapter 21, and you know this story, verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And the last reading in chapter 25, Numbers 25 And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Verse 6 And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a midianite woman in the sight of Moses and the sight of all the congregation, of the children of Israel who were weeping before the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel, and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Now, you might, you might well ask the question, why would I read in Second Timothy chapter 3 of the last days of this dispensation and then read in these chapters at the end of the book of Numbers? Here's the reason. When you turn to 2 Timothy chapter three, the Apostle Paul will speak about conditions that pertain in this world immediately before the rapture. And in that chapter, you will discover he will mention five conditions that are mentioned nowhere else in your Bible. Now that suggests to my mind and yours I trust that when the last days come, the world will become a place like it's never been before. And conditions just before the rapture will degenerate to the lowest level ever reached in this world's history. The lowest time to live. When you come back, to the book of Numbers, and we should do that because in Corinthians 10, it tells us that all the things that happened to them were in samples unto us. So I want to bring you to these chapters because just as 2 Timothy 3 is the closing days of the dispensation of grace, Numbers 20 and 21 and 25 are the last six months of the journey of the people of God as they journeyed through the wilderness. Now, I know that Israel isn't the church. And I know that Canaan isn't heaven. But what intrigues me is this, is that when you reach the last six months of this experience of the people of God, they lose more ground in these six months than at any other period in the nation's journey. The last six months. When you come to chapter 20, the difficulty that arises is this, and I try to emphasize it in the reading. We, and ours, and us, When you come to chapter 21, the problem is not we and ours and us, but the problem is the serpent. And when you come to chapter 25, the problem is not we or ours or us or the serpent, but the problem is this, the daughters of Moab. Now, bearing in mind that all these things that happened were examples to us, we therefore ask the question, what's the significance of we and ours and us? And what's the significance of the serpent? And what's the significance of the daughters of Moab? I would submit to you in this, that in we and ours and us, you have the energy of the flesh. In the serpent... You have the activity of the devil, that old serpent. And in the daughters of Moab, you have the allurement of the world. And so in these three chapters, you can see that our three main problems as the people of God are pictured in these three chapters the flesh and the devil, and the world. Now, you might ask the question, well, what is the flesh? And how did we get the devil? And how did the world, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, how did this world become such an evil place? Let me explain. When you were born, you were born a sinner, you know that. And the nature that you had as a sinner is called in the Bible the nature of the flesh, the works of the flesh. As a sinner, you are driven, governed, motivated, controlled by all the 19 different categories of the works of the flesh. And you'll find these in Galatians 5. Now, here's a point that maybe some who are younger might not have quite appreciated. That when God saved your soul, he did not take away the nature of the flesh. But what he did do is he gave you a new nature, the nature of his spirit. So that within our bodies, within our beings, There are two natures. There's the nature of the flesh, and there's the spirit. And these two are contrary to each other and constantly warring against each other. That's why there are times when you might do things and you think, why did I do that? That's not me. But it is. It's the nature of the flesh. That's why the apostle wrote in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That which I would not, that I do. That which I would, that I do not. What is happening is this is, there's just a struggle. And let me say this to you. Whatever age you are, or wherever you live, or whatever stage you are at in Christian experience, that struggle will never leave you you will always have that struggle. When I was a teenager, I used to look at the older men in Scotland and say, it will be great when I reach that age because all this struggle will be over and I will have arrived spiritually. And now I'm at the age that they were when I looked at them. Can I say this to you? The struggle in its nature may change. And it may be that something different will affect you as a teenager, as somebody who is older. But let me remind you of this, that the struggle will always be in you. Now I say that for this reason, that you may fail, and you may trip up. And it's because of the energy of the flesh that's within you. But can I say this? The nature that will be manifest in your life will be determined by the nature you feed. So if you feed the flesh and allow it to develop, then the fleshly nature will be seen in your life. But if you keep close to God and pray and read His Word and feed the spiritual nature, then what will be seen in your life will not be so much the energies of the flesh, But watch this, works of the flesh, 19 I think it is, fruit, one source. So the flesh's pleasures and sins may come from many different sources, but with the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So that when we speak of the flesh, it's the nature of the flesh. And if we feed the Spirit, it will keep in subjection and in obedience, the impulses and the work. Of the flesh, let me say this to you: the flesh is a very real enemy. But you see, well, I understand that, but how do we get the devil? Well, he was an anointed cherub, and you will know from your Bible that God always dwells between the cherubim, so that in heaven there was two cherubim that were the attendants at God's throne, and he was one of them. He walked the coals of fire into God's presence. He had unrivaled access to God. He knew God, and he dwelt in the holiness of God's presence. A created intelligence, senior in rank, and with authority in the courts of heaven. In the course of time, this is my submission to you, in the course of time, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made a beautiful world. I suspect that the anointed cherub, who was the attendant at God's throne, wished to be the regent for that world. But contrary to his wishes, And contrary to his desires, God gave the dominion of the world into the hand of a man. And in doing so revealed the eternal plan of God that the rulership of this world would ultimately be in the hands of a man. And so I think Satan's fall did not come in eternity. I think it came in Eden. And when man was created and given dominion, that made the man the catalyst for satanic rebellion. And when it was found that he had a thought that was higher than God's, that's the thought, I think, I will ascend and be as the Most High he was cast out of heaven. And from then on, his objective was to bring down the man to whom God had given universal dominion. So that we know how we got the flesh. And I would submit to you, that's how we get the devil. A fallen authority from the courts of heaven lifted up in his pride against the mind and will of God, and his objective was this, to bring down the man whom God had created. But what about the world? God gave Adam universal dominion. He would rule over all the world. Everything was his. But man took that authority which God had given and surrendered it to the serpent, by means of his disobedience to the word of God. And to so this beautiful world, created by God's hand, then came under the rule, not of the man to whom God had given dominion, but the prince of this world. And so you have, through sin, man energized by the flesh, And through fall, you have the devil and all his advances. And then thirdly, through that same fall and man surrendering his dominion to the adversary, you have the world in all its state. There is one more thing I want to mention in the passing. When Adam sinned, he did not throw God's creation into sin. He was representative of humanity. But of course, there was therefore an issue. Because the man was given dominion over creation, and he, at this point, is a fallen man. So you have the prospect of a fallen man ruling over an unfallen creation. That's why the apostle says in Romans 8, for the creation was made subject to vanity. So God took creation and subjected creation to that vanity as an act of God. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, it says this, creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of, not the son of God, the sons of God. So that when God brings us back into the world, in the state that we will be in, when he brings us back to reign, He will readjust creation to what it was prior to the fall of Adam. And he'll reign, therefore, in the conditions that pertain in the millennial age. There's the enemy. The flesh, the devil, and the world. Let's take these three things and just find pictures of it in the Chapters we read. The flesh. Here they are journeying through the wilderness. And in the course of the journey, things are not quite working out as they like. And they say this. Would to God that we, would to God that we died in the wilderness. Our cattle, us, us, What's the whole thought? We and ours and us. That's the flesh. Now you bring this and just import it for a moment into modern day assembly life. Do you find there's people who say that place doesn't suit us or we don't like this or we want something else. Can you see that the many problems that we're facing in the same life today, where people seem to be intent on self-gratification rather than God's word or God's plan or God's purpose, is a picture. It's seen in picture form in the flesh of the book of Numbers and chapter 20. And what you find is this, that this fleshly nature has power and its determination And they come to Moses and Aaron and they say, we want to change things. We're not happy with this. We're not content with the way God's leading. And would to God we'd actually died. When our brethren, the sons of Korah, died before. Can you believe that? What had happened? They had completely lost sight of God's purpose. Now you remember this. Do you remember the night or the day that the apostle Saul of Tarsus was saved? And he cried these words, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You would that every soul, every day, just made that cry, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? But what I observe is this, is that the condition in which he saw that request developing was this. He was blinded. He saw no man. He fasted and he prayed. So that if we want to uncover divine purpose and save ourselves from these impulses of the flesh, as seen in this picture of Numbers 20, we want to see no man be influenced wholly by God. Fasting to afflict our souls so that we deny ourselves of things which are natural in order to uncover things which are spiritual and pray. And when when he saw no man, and he fasted and he prayed, then God sent a man with divine revelation to reveal the whole panoply of divine purpose for this dear soul. Now what happens here? The Christ of the flesh. What do you do when your assembly is faced with men who are obvious, or women who are obviously moving according to the flesh? Says the Word of God. They went to the tabernacle and they fell upon their face. Do you know why they did that? Because of this, they had no answer to this difficulty. Do you ever? Do you ever speak to a soul? Ever speak to a brother or a sister? Ever face a crisis in the assembly? And in your heart, you see, I, I, I really don't know where to turn. Here's an answer for us. Just lie on your face before God in the quietness of His presence and just wait there because there's an answer coming. Listen to what it is. Take the rod and speak to the rock. You got that? What's the rod? That's the rod of invested divine authority. That's the power God can give you. What's the rock? That's his blessed son, who, incidentally, has moved this way before us, encountered every difficulty that we as God's people face. Otherwise, he would not be a Suited high priest in God's presence. Take the rock, take the rod. And take hold of what you're given in the quietness of the presence of God, the investment of divine authority. Take the rod. And speak to the rock. You know what he did. He just He just moved outside of the revealed mind of God. And he said this, must we, have mu-, you got it? Must we bring water from, what's the idea? He attributed that which was peculiarly to God and from God to the energy of self. What's that? That's the flesh. You know what happened in that chapter? Miriam died, and with six months to go, Moses and Aaron forfeited the right to enter the land. That's the damage with six months on the last lap, if you like. That's the damage. That's the warning I want to bring to your souls today in relation to the matter of the flesh. But then secondly, I want to speak to you about the the, the movement of the devil. The bite of the serpent. Now, I don't know what you think about this, but just let me just run over with you just some verses of Scripture in relation to the serpent. Do you remember when the people of Israel entered into the land of Canaan and they vanquished Jericho without any difficulty? The big city of Jericho. In fact, I sat in the Sunday school and I heard the brother speak so very well on this great subject of Jericho. And the court, and I compliment to the brother who he is, but he gave a great word. And I'll tell you something about me. I have never, ever been invited to speak at a children's meeting. And after I've spoken, been asked back. Never. <laughs> so when I hear a man handle children competently, I'm so envious because I'm just not a children's speaker, but I think it's a great word. But they entered the land, and they defeated Jericho very easily, and then they come to Ei. They think, "Oh, Ei is a piece of cake," and they get defeated. Why was that? You say, "Well, that was Achan." But what does Achan's name mean? The serpent. The serpent. And how does the serpent work within us? I saw. I coveted. I took. And if you like, I hid. That's what Satan does in our lives. He helps us covet what's not ours. He gives us that propensity to take what isn't ours. And he gives us the ability to hide it. What was it? What was it? A wedge of gold. Watch how the Spirit of God articulates it. A wedge of gold. That was his shape. A quantity of silver. And... A Babylonian garment. Oh you did that matter? Did it matter? A wedge of gold? A quantity of silver? Here's the key to me. The garment was the garment of a Babylonian priest. And at the prospect of Babylonian priesthood in all its idolatry being introduced to the people of God. It demanded Achan's death. That's the extent God will take to protect his own holiness. But come down, not to the land, but come down to the beginning of the church. And in fact, we'll cover the chapter before it and there's, there's souls getting saved. It's a day like no other. And thousands are getting saved and baptized. And the church been established. What's happening? Why hath Satan filled thine heart? What was he doing? He sold a piece of land. Nothing wrong with that. He gave a part to the apostles and there was nothing wrong with that but he pretended he was giving all when he was holding something back. What was he doing? He was just mimicking his great forefather, the devil. He was deceptive. Could I make this application? How how is our life? Are we pretending that everything's right on the outside when there's something been harbored? Hiding something? Sin? Hidden sin? Withholding something back from God that should be his? That's our life? That's the teaching of Romans 12? You see, this is... You see, you see, well, what is this? Why hath Satan filled thine heart? You think of Iscariot? The devil... Having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, to do what? To betray him. To hand him over. Says Judas, listen, it's a big garden, and there were a big crowd, and you might get the wrong man. Give me 30 pieces of silver, and I'll identify him with a kiss. You'll know who he is. I'll hand him over. I ask you this. I wonder if it's possible that in our lives as God's people, we're just handing Christ over for something in return. What is it? The devil having entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. You remember 2 Corinthians 11? I fear that as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. What is it? Just corruption of mind that rather than just accept God's word as it plainly is, and just submit to its teaching that might not just quite suit our frame or our mind, we allow satanic influence to come in. And isn't it interesting that in that same chapter, he'll speak about false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the ministers of Christ. So they're actually taking platforms, and in their ministry and in their teaching, their desire is just to disrupt the very thing that as teachers they should be building up. Seize so the Word of God, that's the effect of the devil. Now what does he say here? Make a serpent, serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. Lift it up. Now, you remember this. In Hebrews chapter 2, the apostle or the writer says this, For as much as the children are made partakers, and watch the language, blood and flesh, the seed is first, then the body. That which is conceived in thee is of the Holy Spirit, in conception, then the body. For as much as the children are made partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same blood, and flesh, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death are all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let me just explain a little for a moment on this subject, just because this is what we're dealing with. First of all, You might say, well, how can the devil be destroyed when he's still so active? And does the power of death mean that Satan had the power to take away a man's life? Let me deal with the latter first. Do you remember Job? Hurt his flesh, take his possessions, but you will not take his life. That tells me this. Satan did not have the power to take a man's life from him. What does it mean then? It means this. That held in the hand of Satan is the power of sin. And sin brings man into death. And so, in that respect, the devil had the power of death in this, is that he holds sin, and through that sin, man will die. And through that sin, he'll reject God's salvation. And through that sin, he'll reject eternal life. In that respect, the devil has the power of death. What did Christ do? He entered into this. I think, I think our brother um, um, said it this morning that Satan, wanted the devil, that Satan wanted Christ dead. I believe that. I heard people say, that was the voice of Satan coming for the cross. No, no, no. Satan wanted him dead because he figured that just like when a man dies, he's gone. He figured that once Christ is dead, he's gone. What he didn't realize was this is that by entering into death as he did, he defeated Satan on the very ground that Satan occupied with him, in that he entered into death and in in doing so came right out of death, not, not raised back from the dead, but right out the other side. And on the ground of a resurrected life, Finish forever any threat that Satan might bring to men with respect to death. Why? Because because Christ lives, we live. And because he dealt with the matter of sin, he can bring eternal life. And the very thing that Satan held in his power and wanted for Christ was the very instrument that God used to defeat him. You say, well, why is he still there? Why does he still have power? Because of this. Understand the difference between judgment and condemnation. Now, is the prince of this world? Judged. So Satan's doom has been secured. That's the judgment. His eventual condemnation will come, when he'll be cast into the abyss. For eternity, judgment and condemnation. Now my time's gone. Just one last thing. That's the flesh. That's the the devil. Now what about the world? Here's Barak, the king of the Moabites, and he sees that Israel have made advances against the enemy, and he wants them cursed. So he says, I'll hire Balaam, and he'll come and he'll curse them. So Balaam wants to Balaam will take money. Balaam will do anything for money. And he goes to curse the people of God and he can't do it. I'm being very short here. Balaam says, listen, listen. I'll give you a plan. You can't curse the people of God, but what you can do is you can corrupt them. You can't curse them, but you can corrupt them. Now listen to this. When God saved your soul, Satan's power was broken in your life. So he can't bring you to condemnation. He can't bring you to, to, to lose your eternal life. But what he can do is this. He can corrupt your mind and your heart and your body and your life. How will he do it? Says Balaam, listen. See these young men. Just, just get them to be attracted to the woman of Moab. Can I speak to the brethren? Have you noticed in your Bible, and let all of us be aware of this, me included more than any, have you noticed in your Bible that the two great things that brought a man down was woman and alcohol? Think of the men through the Bible that were brought down with these things. Says, Says Balaam, listen, just get the girls to invite them to. What's the idea? Come and have a meal with us. They were t- I imagine they were pretty girls, nice girls, social, sociable girls. Or if you want for the girls here or the ladies, sociable men, it's harmless. Just let's just have a meal together. Let's just socialize together. It's all quite harmless. But in the course of the socializing, ah, we bow down to this idol. That's what we do here. And so the people of God bow down to the gods of Moab. In other words, you let the world suck you in and you will be, your standard will become their standard. And your worship will be to their idol. And you know what happens? When your heart is affected by the idol, your morality drops to the idol's level. And a man took a woman and in front of all the people took her into the tent for sin. Listen to this. For the flesh, take a rod and speak to the rock. For the serpent, upon a pole, type of Christ, it is victory on Calvary. What about the world? That's take a priest. Take a javelin. Well, you see, that, that's a bit more basic, exactly. What's the lesson? Stop the rot. And if you're finding the pool of this world in your life and you're finding the corrosion of morality in your your life and you're finding that your mind is more accepting of the standards of morality of the world and all these things, here's the answer. Take the javelin, stop the rot. What happened in Numbers 20 when the flesh, Miriam and Aaron And Moses, what happened, Numbers 21, with the serpent? Many of Israel died. What happened with the world? 24,000 lost in one day because of the intrusion of the world into the lives of the people of God. I say this to you. In relation to the fresh, we have the Spirit. In relation to the devil, we have a victorious, conquering Christ. What about the world? Says the Savior, "Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." So that when it's the flesh, and when it's the devil, and when it's the world, there are resources in Christ in His Word to preserve us. There is no need for us to feel it is not inevitable. It's possible that we can fail through the flesh or the devil or the world. It is not inevitable. But the answer lies in this. And I come back to a point I made yesterday. And on this point, I'll close. Just cultivate in your experience that daily devotion with him. Don't let it slip. Don't let it go slack but through the reading of the word of God daily and the meditation of the same and constancy in exercise of prayer and keep close to your brethren and don't miss the assembly gatherings unless you absolutely have to and giving it your all for God. And these enemies of the flesh and the devil and the world will be thwarted in your experience and your life will turn out to be a great investment. For God, may He bless His word to our hearts.